0: and weave it into your own life with the same unrelenting passion to give those you have the privilege of coming in contact with the best hour of their day.
1: Welcome to the show, Jenna Murray. Did I say that right? You got it. Jenna M- Murray Rosenthal. So CrossFit Level 2 trainer, adaptive and inclusive trainer. Did you take the um, ATA course with yes. Alex Zirkenbach? I did. Yeah. Alec is a good friend of mine. He's so really cool that that course is great. Highly recommend it. And I, re- re- I
2: recommend it to everyone.
1: Yeah. It's I mean, you know, back in the day it was like, OK, you should take the gymnastics course because it's body awareness. Cool. Then it became you should take the kids course, because if you can coach kids, you can coach adults. And I think really nowadays it's getting to the point where you need to have some sort of adaptive seminar course curriculum, it, you know, it, on your resume, because if we're truly going to move in the direction of CrossFit is for anyone, yeah, then you have to be prepared for anyone.
2: Yeah. and And I think even beyond that, like adaptive training better prepares coaches to keep athletes in the gym when they're injured. Because it kind of opens your your eyes to the variety of ways that we can modify things, from having athletes sit to single arm, all of that stuff. So even your everyday athlete can benefit from that like level of knowledge.
1: Yeah, and you know, full disclosure. While I don't believe CrossFit is dangerous, everyone's going to get hurt at some point in their CrossFit career, not necessarily from CrossFit. Whether it's yeah. you know out you know running and twisting their ankles or a car accident or whatever it is, you you know you need to be prepared to scale or adapt any workout for anyone. And you in particular focus on brain injury and neurological injury. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. How did you get so specific?
2: Uh, So I'm a speech and language pathologist and I'm a certified brain injury specialist. And I work um, over the years, I've largely worked in rehabilitation settings. um, And I started working with individuals after rehab looking for continued speech language and cognitive rehab to kind of get them back to more functional living not just kind of your basic speech therapy like folks who for example wanted to go back to work and they didn't feel their language capacity was good enough and they were looking for something that could help integrate them more back into their community and back into functional use of their language um, and somewhere along the lines of my career I became you got into crossfit i became a crossfit coach and Pretty quickly thought there's a there's a really great potential for these individuals in the gym, Um, not just their the physical deficits that can come with a stroke or brain injury, which are wide um, and can be very varied person to person. But uh, for folks who have trouble communicating or following instructions or paying attention or remembering things, uh, there's just the, the gym is rife with opportunity to help people improve those skills. And so I started taking these clients into the gym.
1: So what came first? Did you have this degree or CrossFit? Uh,
2: The degree in speech came first. Um, And one of the things in rehab, uh, you know, once I started doing CrossFit and sort of fell into the learning element of everything about the gym and the movements and the motivation to kind of grow and learn and thinking about how the coach's role in a lot of ways is helping people do things that are really difficult for them. There's a lot of that in cognitive therapy. Like if you have a brain injury and it's hard for you to remember things on a day to day, or it's hard for you to even name common objects as a speech therapist, my job is to really put you through a therapeutic process. That's hard for you, but that I know is good for you. And so once I started coaching. I was like, These, this is another element of helping people do hard things at, to help better themselves.
1: And you're at CrossFit Invictus, a pretty well-recognized name out there. How'd you get involved at Invictus?
2: Uh, so I've coached a couple of different places and I actually started um, working with stroke patients with Spencer Hendel out at One Nation. Um, I sort of had a chance meeting with him and, and he was willing to take on a few clients with me. Uh, And then I still work at Mass General Hospital. So in the throes of the pandemic, I stopped coaching um, in any capacity because being a frontline worker took its own toll. Um, And I sort of got back involved with Invictus uh, when Bern Prince put forth the Invictus Invitational. Um, He had reached out looking for some folks to uh, help volunteer with that. And I got connected with Invictus there. And I said, hey, I run this program for stroke survivors in the gym. And they were like, this is great. Come along. Um, and they've really afforded me the opportunity and the space to be able to run this program for folks.
1: What was your first, uh, coaching experience? Like, so you had, you know, you had your degree, you get involved in CrossFit. What was your first kind of realization of a, there's some sort of overlap here. And then B, what did that look like as you were first getting started?
2: I think, uh, myself as an athlete, as I started to dig a little bit into gymnastics and wanted to learn complex movements, um, you know, I really went sort of full nerd into learning everything I needed to know to ever do a bar muscle up. Um, and the sort of break the skill down to an, into its small components and to build it back up again was what really, um, connected for me as a coach. I wanted to help people do that. And as a speech therapist, you have to do that when you're helping someone. For example, if you have trouble remembering things and you, you know, it starts really small. It starts with remembering um, things that happen from minute to minute, people in your everyday life, people you've seen today, all the way up to complex working memory. Like I give you seven words and you have to kind of reorganize them on the fly or do mental math. So there was this overlap for me in coaching of the skill development of the break it down, build it back up again so that you can be, um, have better global understanding.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I was looking through your social media and you've got such a wide range of athletes coming in. How are, how are people seeking you out? How are people finding out that, you know, this is because, because you're really a specialty within a specialty, right? I mean, in both areas, you're, you know, you're, you're like, you said, you're a speech pathologist, but you're also a CrossFit trainer, both specialties. And then it's like this Venn diagram of like, Hey, I fit right in the middle there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, you know, I when I first started the program, I did a lot of visiting with support groups, like stroke support group, brain injury, aneurysm support group, um, and reaching out to physicians and providers and who I thought might have individuals who are connected and, and might need this kind of service. Uh, the bigger buy-in actually came from within the CrossFit community, which isn't super surprising to me. And it kind of quickly became word of mouth. And I use my Instagram the most because I feel like people can't conceptualize it unless they can see it. And I think the coolest thing about the the range of athletes on my Instagram is that it has just opened the door for people who never thought they could. I get inquiries all the time from people who are like, I don't know if this is the right program for me, but. and I think it, it lets people who didn't think that fitness was for them or that the gym was a place for them see that, that it, it can be, um, I'm not sure if that totally answers the question, but, um, yeah, people, it's, it's a lot of word of mouth, a lot of connecting with gyms. Um, and the truth is, you know, there are, I shared this a lot. there, are 5.3 million people living with a disability as a result of a brain injury. So everybody knows somebody who knows somebody who had a stroke or a brain injury or some sort of neurological condition that they can't, they're having trouble recovering from. So a lot of word of mouth has, um, has done the trick.
1: What's the most common brain injury?
2: Uh, the most common cause of brain injury is cause a fall. Is a fall. Yep. Yep. And, and that you know uh, largely impacts our older population and our younger. Um, and then that's followed by car accidents and motor vehicle accidents, high speed kinds of things. Um, and then, you know, there, after that, there's all, all range of things, but fall is, is way up there.
1: So are you finding that most of the people that you work with are previous CrossFitters that have a brain injury or a brain injury that find CrossFit?
2: It's a, it's a little bit of both. Uh, the, my very first, um, client was a CrossFitter, um, had CrossFit kind of ran, running in the family and, and that was sort of an easy buy-in. And then I actually have a client in Germany who's a CrossFit coach who had a stroke. Um, and the owner of his box reached out and said, you know, can, can you help him? We're trying to help him get back to fitness, but also back to communicating because he doesn't, um, he's not able to use his language very well. Uh, so it's a mix of both. A lot of people coming through the door have no CrossFit experience and don't know much about it. But when you start talking about what functional fitness is and what that can mean for them, it's really powerful.
1: So the average person finds CrossFit and it's super intimidating that, you know, we could start anywhere really, but it's usually yeah. like, hey, it's an air squat, etc. cetera. Yeah. How is that different when someone, and, and I assume, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's degrees of brain injury.
2: Yes, absolutely. Like what's,
1: what's very low end? What might that look like?
2: Um, you know, with brain injury, you could have all a range of physical deficits and no cognitive deficits, or you could have no physical injury and have all kinds of challenges with cognition and language, you know, on a mild end, you might have someone who struggles to pay attention in a busy environment who has a hard time remembering kind of day-to-day tasks. Um, sometimes if it's language-based people just, you know, that, that feeling of uh, the end of the day and you're tired and you're like, you know, get me the thing over there that I use to see better. Um, there, that's, that's word finding de- difficulty in folks who have aphasia, which is a language deficit caused by injury to the brain struggle with that on a, on a range and a continuum.
1: Okay. I, you know, this is my specialty. My specialty is asking, um, offensive questions, but not Go meaning to. So let me, you know, and, and, knowing Kevin Ogar and Alec, you know, they <laughs> always try to, they always remind me it's not offensive if you're trying to come from a good place. So yes. I'm coming from a good place. Just truly trying to get a better understanding. Please. Um, can these brain injuries just be developed, In other words, do I have a brain injury? Because sometimes I can't remember things and I can't pay attention well. Can they be developed just without any trauma? Uh,
2: Not generally organically. I mean, there are all kinds of things. You're
1: saying there's a chance.
2: You know, I don't know your history well enough, but there's always a chance for something like a post-concussive syndrome. You know, you get hit in the head enough times or um, and that can cause memory difficulties. But, you know, I I use those examples to put it to scale. Right. Because we all sort of know that feeling, but uh, that sort of tip of the tongue phenomenon where you just can't say the word now magnify that by 10 or hundred or 200, depending on the, on the level of injury. And that is why in some ways it translates really well into the gym because those folks have to practice. They just have to practice using their words. And so in the gym, sometimes we practice just naming what the items are remembering the names of the members um, describing what they did in a workout. And it's just another opportunity to use language to help with new learning.
1: Well, let me ask you another offensive question, please. When I was growing up, there was no ADD or ADHD, yeah. right? I'm 43. So, you know, graduated high school, 96, college, 2000. I know how old you are. You look a little younger than me. Um, not much. <laughs> not much, okay. Yeah. But, you know, and, and there's other things happening these, this day and age amongst teenagers. And I'm like, huh, that wasn't an option when I was 15, 16, okay. et cetera. Yeah. Um, what, what's, what's your opinion on that a, as someone who studied this? Um, and I know you probably have to toe a line that I don't have to yes, toe, absolutely. but I mean, you know, in other words, when I was a kid, it wasn't hey you may have ADHD. It was like this kid doesn't pay attention in class, put him in the remedial okay. class, right? And those were the kids that got you know had a stigma associated. Yeah. Is was ADHD not a thing? Is it still not a thing? Is it a thing that too many people are getting lumped into? And I'm you know again, I'm truly just curious.
2: Yeah, you know, I grew up in the same age as you did where it was like nobody had ADD and then suddenly everybody had EDD. And I think that we've uh, sometimes shuffled through different diagnoses. I think now there are other things that are a little more en vogue. Um, You know, as as a speech pathologist, it's dealing with folks who have brain injury, for example, it's hard when everyone's like oh I'm so ADD right now or oh I can't remember I never remember anything because in some ways that's dismissive because there are right. individuals whose brains are truly impacted um
1: and I don't you know. I don't want to be clear like a we're talking about acute injury for a lot of yes. these people right yeah so obviously there's some sort of trauma and I'm yeah. assuming under um an MRI is that what you would go under an a MRI scan? or a CT right. scan yep You can see, it. I mean, I've watched enough CSI and whatnot to see the red and whatnot in the brain. Um, Things are definitely happening in there. I don't, you know, to a fault, you know, I'd say the same thing. It's like when I was a kid, not everyone was being diagnosed with autism or Asperger's and it was clearly something then. It just we didn't know enough about it. So I'm just wondering, is it we didn't know about it or is it just an easy classification to put a kid in like, oh, he doesn't pay attention maybe it's you're feeding him like sugar nonstop. Right. There's other aspects to it. You know, maybe he's just got to be controlled a little better. Right. Like if someone have a seven month old and in a few years, if they were like, she has ADHD, I'd be like, cool. What can I do naturally? Right. Rather than just saying she has ADHD and now you have an excuse to, you know, not pay attention.
2: Right. And, and I think it, you know, science is always advancing. Right. And what, we always talk about the brain. You know, I worked with a physician who used to say the brain is the final frontier of medicine. So there's still a lot that we don't know about the brain. Um, what's going on in terms of diagnoses? How we can treat these different things? So sometimes I think it's more that we start to learn more about the brain, and we say, oh, we can we can treat that. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot to be learned about co- cognition in general. Is such a tricky beast as is um, language that. We don't always know what's happening with the brain. And I think there are, there's a lot of, uh, you know, kind of pivoting a little bit, there's a lot of research now about what fitness can do for the brain, uh, which is sort of how I ended up tying these things together. Um, you know, there's, we know there's a lot of research, for example, about uh, conditions where there are now psychiatrists who prescribe exercise because it, it actually makes changes in the brain when you work out. And what we're starting to see more evidence of now is that exercise actually changes the brain at the cellular level and it primes the brain for new learning. So there are specific studies that show that there's an increase in the area of the brain called the hippocampus, which is responsible for new learning. So when you exercise, your brain is actually primed to learn, to lay down new memories, to learn new things, which is why it's a great environment for individuals with neurological conditions.
1: Yeah. I mean, there, there must be um, some sort of connection because we all do this exercise thing and then we wind up feeling better. Right.
2: Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so we know that we know that there are impacts psychologically. And now we also know that fitness um, influences neuroplasticity, which is how the brain heals itself, which is how it grows, which is how, if it's been damaged, it finds new pathways to do things again.
1: Have you had anyone that you've worked with that didn't have a traumatic brain injury, but had been classified as ADD or ADHD, and then you've worked with them and seen improvements?
2: I, I, you know, most of my clients have come with uh, some diagnoses. I think some folks, when they're really complex medical, like I have some you know, uh, with complex oncological histories who have suffered from the effects of chemo and things like that, who don't come with a diagnosis of an ADD or something like that. But uh, as a specialist, I can kind of see the cognitive challenges that are there and I'm able to see how they're able to make changes and apply that in the gym. Um, but I haven't had a lot of folks specifically that would answer that situation now.
1: You know, we, 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 in, in the what is fitness lecture, you have your level two. So if you remember back to your level one, what is fitness? We talk about the 10 general skills and there's part of your respiratory flexibility, strength, and stamina. And we say, Hey, these are organic and training. And then there's two in the middle power speed. And then the bottom four balance, accuracy, agility, and coordination, we say are neurological. They come from practice and equally they all help power and speed. So when we say that, you know, neurologically, those things are developed. Are those for balance, accuracy, agility, and coordination really what's helping a lot of the people that you're working with?
2: I think it's part of it, right? And part of the reason those we, I think a part of the reason we refer to those as neurological too, is that you have to, you have to learn them and train them, right? You have to prime your brain to be able to do these kinds of movement patterns. And so it, it works both ways. So some of the clients that come to me have, they really struggle with balance and agility and things like that because they're, because of the level of their injury, because maybe only one half of their body is working functionally because maybe they can't feel one side of their body. And so there is a level of you know chicken or the egg where the we need to practice these skills to develop the learning, um, but also the brain drives the development of some of these skills. So it's a little it's 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 hard to answer, but I think that we know that all of these things can benefit everyone. And you know even on a like a small scale, we think about you know people who suffer from brain injury are very likely to suffer a second one. Um, uh, even if it's
1: acute, even if it's because of a an injury.
2: Regardless of, you know, people they're more susceptible, they're more vulnerable, um, largely like
1: concussion. Because,
2: yeah, because they struggle from things like uh, difficulty with balance, difficulty with coordination, and then cognitively perhaps um, reduced safety awareness and poor insight, right? So there are all these factors in which people get themselves potentially into unsafe situations, and now their brain is vulnerable, and now they have another brain injury. So, at a very simple level, if you've suffered a brain injury and we can get you a little more steady on your feet, and get your coordination and your balance and your agility just a little bit sharper, we might be able to stave off another injury. We might be able to, you know, we can sort of help you. I always talk about in my practice, rehab kind of helps you get to a place where you're good enough. And I think bringing these folks in and training them in fitness provides an opportunity to be better than good enough. Um, There's more than just, okay, now you can walk in a straight line. It's okay, well, how can we help you move better and be safer out there in the world?
1: We can probably take a lot of these practices and principles you're talking about, but you know for the average person listening who doesn't have this you know degree that you have and and doesn't necessarily have a member with brain you know injury, you know when we talk about the neurological stuff, i I always think about like, for an example, you ever see an agility ladder, Yeah, right? You throw it on the ground and people are like, "Why do I have to do this?" And my answer has always been, well, If you can do this two in, two out or whatever drill you're running, it's a little less likelihood that you're going to fall down, right? If grandma can do this, albeit slow and uncoordinated looking, if she did fall, she's more likely to stand back up or you're preventing the the opportunity for her to fall. So we can still be looking at things from that perspective. And same holds true with double unders. Like, oh, am I ever going to need a double under in real life? Probably not. But if you could do double unders, you're showing me of a little more coordination than the average person.
2: Right, right. And you know, I always talk too with clients about how I think after you've had a brain injury or a stroke and and you have to learn how to walk and be safe again. Rehab teaches you how to be safe, right? Like we want to make sure you're steady on your feet, hold on to the handrail, use the the armrests when you sit and you stand. And when clients come to me, one of the first things I say is how, you know, show me how you get down to the ground. And they look at me like I'm nuts because they don't ever get to the ground because why would they? That's not safe. And I, you know, I always fall into like, well, what if, what if, and not if, but when you fall, how would you get up? And there's always this look of, well, I've spent all this time in recovery being safe. Well, that's great. But we want to train you to get out of unsafe situations. And in my first session with every client and make them get down to the floor and back up again with whatever modifications they need. Um, But to get that understanding of like, hey, yeah, this, this can happen in everyday life. And that's part of that better than good enough. We don't, we don't want to just like Keep you safe and put you in a little box, a little glass jar, and kind of, okay, you're safe there. We wanna, we wanna give you the skills to get out of an unsafe situation potentially.
1: Would you recommend? Because you know, the 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 balance that I want to figure out here is okay. If people, you work directly with people in person. I, you you mentioned you're putting together a course also, which I assume yes. people will be able to access online. And I'm a, just like the adaptive training. Check it out, even if it's just for your own knowledge, you're going to have one person that walks in there as a box owner. That's what separates you from the box down the road. Hey, I've got this yeah. you know course that that I can help with. but assuming you don't have anyone with a brain injury, is that a drill you would recommend somebody walks in? you have them do that? Is it like they're a certain age? Is it you know, do you do you test everybody? Hey, can you get down to the ground and get back up?
2: I mean, the, the way that I do it, right, just like anything else, I make it as functional as possible, right? So I say to them, if you had to pick something up off the floor, what, you, what would you do? And most of them say, well, I, put my, I would put my hand on the couch and I might lean over, I might hold on something. So I, you know, I bring a box and I put down some sort of soft gymnastic mats. We put one hand on the box, we put one knee on the floor and we sort of very slowly get, learn a pattern to kind of, it's, you know, it's kind of a modified lunge sort of thing. Um, get to the floor. Now, you know, knee, then hand, then sit. Okay, that's safer than I just sort of toppled over. So, you know, again, it's like that creative approach to modifying anything. It's, it's not unlike we would do with um, the elderly population. Um, and it's not unlike when you're teaching someone how to do a burpee for the first time, and they've like never gone to the floor like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's a valuable skill. I think we have to modify it in any way for some of those clients. All that is, is putting one hand on a box and one knee to the ground and practicing kind of a half step lunge, but it's a step in the right direction.
1: Is it true? Alligators are ornery because of their medulla oblongata.
2: It's entirely possible. I can't say for certain cause I've not, I've not seen it under MRI myself,
1: <laughs> but have you seen the water boy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, So tell me about this woman, Sydney. Okay, yeah, she's all over your Instagram. She's like, I thought you were Sydney to be completely honest. She's on your Instagram (laughs) that much, but tell me about her because she looks to be like a pretty much a badass. She
2: is a badass and she will be so grateful that you said that. Um, but one of the, one of the cool things about the work that I do is that it has grown from just sort of the acute neuro injury to anything that falls under the umbrella, umbrella of neuro and Sydney has um, cerebral palsy and she, so
1: that's you're. correct me if I'm wrong, but that's genetic. You're born with that.
2: Yes, you are born with okay. it. Yep. Um, so she has CP and she, uh, has been crossfitting for quite some time and she has goals of being sort of an elite adaptive athlete she's, uh, qualified for and competing at the wheel games this year and hoping awesome. one day, yeah. And hoping one day to make it to, um, to the CrossFit games, uh, as they sort of hopefully further develop their neuro division,
1: she would but be she- in Shannon Ogar's division.
2: Yes. And so in the adaptive world, though, there, there are generally two classifications for neuro. There's major and there's minor. Um, and at the games, we only had one. So the, as far as leveling the playing field, I think there's still some work to be done as, as, as the games figures it out. You know, only four classifications got invited to the games, but there were multiple. Yeah.
1: yeah.
3: Um, I'm hoping but, for a
1: short stature to make the games because I'm yeah. short stature high. <laughs> which means I'm, I'm five foot three. So um, I'm, I'm, you know, there's, I'm, I'm borderline ready to compete at the game. You're ready for it. You're ready. Yeah. They have a short stature high. I will smash Mikey, the world's fittest dwarf. Yeah. There you go. You know, big time, big time. time. Mikey's been on the show. Sean, other people like I will crush those guys.
2: Yeah. You're you're on it. I'll be rooting for you.
1: (laughs) So, um, but let me just say like.
2: Let okay. me just say, like, as, as far as Sydney is concerned, I think keep it serious,
1: is, keep it serious, Yeah,
2: just, just just not I'm okay with not serious. But I want to just add that I think what's been cool in this process is being able to help people who have already gotten into CrossFit and they're doing their thing. But with the understanding of neuro with knowing what her brain needs to sort of optimize movement patterns to optimize fitness so for her it has a lot to do you know she has spasticity so she um, has a lot of spasticity in her hips which makes some of classic rx movements they don't look the way that everyone else thinks that they should look and she herself has internalized that right like she's big on like oh like when i push press the barbell goes around my face it's not supposed to go around well it's like well yes but because of the position of her hips she's postured forward right so if the barbell Mm -hmm. doesn't go around her face she's going to hit herself in the face and so a lot of it is understanding fitness applied to neuro. Um, and it's not, a you know, adapting is not scaling. It's making, making it work with her limitations. And, you know, just what I know about the brain has kind of helped to optimize her fitness.
1: Yeah. And you know, that's something we've learned along the way. Adapting is not the same as scaling and you have to refer to it properly because it's, it's, uh, demeaning to always use the word scaling. Cause right. you know, these are people that are in the adapted division and there's a big difference between, yeah. Hey, Scaling is almost, you know, not that that's a bad thing either, but it's almost oh. like this negative connotation where okay. adapting is, we're making it work for you. Uh okay. You mentioned neuro had kind of two categories. What, what distinguishes those two categories?
2: I don't, it's, it really has to do with kind of the level of the limitation right so um it, it's not even clearly delineated within diagnosis because neuro is a really really diverse field so there can be two athletes that have cp and one is major and one is minor so i know that um Wheelwad, uh in general like when they classify athletes there's, there's an interview process they see them move you know it's and i don't know all of the classification all of the um criteria that is but um it's interesting when you look at neuro, right? Like the the range of even just the girls that were there, their diagnoses are really different. And the things that they can and can't do were really different, and that has to do with their brain.
1: And that, and that's a challenge I think CrossFit's gonna have to navigate. And luckily definitely there's people like Stouty and Logan and you know, Kevin and Alec, yes. you know, really playing a big role. Cause cause you're right. I mean, I know Shannon Ogar pretty well. You know, I've trained with her. She's, you know, in Denver. And I mean if you were to just see shannon you wouldn't think that she was adaptive i mean right. you get to know her and she talks to you and she explains a little bit but yeah i think especially with i mean short stature is pretty cut and dry are you above right. this line or below this line right or single arm amputee versus you know you got two or you got one right logan's yeah. not like faking not that anyone's faking but logan's clearly has one arm right um, <laughs> right right so we're not and, debating that. Then-
2: Right. And in Neuro, and I think a lot of people just don't understand Neuro as well because it's so complicated. But you know, it's like the the level of fitness doesn't always align with the level of limitation, right? Like you've seen Sydney on my Instagram, she's super fit.
1: She's got six pack. She, yeah, she's fitter she, than me. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah. She's very fit, but her her degree of limitation is more severe than some of the, the others who competed at the games. But if you're just if you were to strip that away and talk about baseline fitness. Twitter at the CrossFit Games, right? You know, and that's, it's hard to, it's, it's a really hard category. And interestingly, like, I don't know how much you watched of the adaptive divisions, but, you know, as someone who's neuro, it, so much of the coverage was focused on upper and lower. I had an athlete who was competing there and I kept being like, put the camera on neuro, because it doesn't tell the story the same way. You know, mm-hmm. you look at upper, you can be like amputee and that tells a story. And I think that that's really important. And I think it's really been motivating for the adaptive world at large, but I still think that neuro is kind of, like I said, brain injury is quote, the invisible injury. And I don't think it's well understood and not as well represented as it could be. And that's partly one of the things I'm trying to do in my practice is just say like, Hey, neuro peeps, this is a place for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, you see Logan, clean and jerk 225 with one arm and you're like, that's impressive, right? Yes, and, course. you know, you see someone like Shannon or even Sydney, I mean, looking at pictures on your Instagram, there's nothing, and that's probably the challenge with neuro, right? Like yes. you look at Sydney, you're like, okay, this this girl's taking my class, period. Right? <laughs> yes, I don't think yes. anything, I think, you know, there are probably giveaways, like you said, like you see the way people with CP tend to walk, right? I'm friends with Steph Hammerman and you can see mm-hmm. it she looks like she has a very similar gait or stance, if you will, posture as Sydney. So there's clearly some overlap there, but outside of that, you know, you're just like, all right, go.
2: Yeah. And even CP has their, uh, like at least four different types. They're not, so it's not all one diagnosis, you know? And you think about adaptive, you think about modifying and it's like for seated athletes, for example, there's a classification for seated with hip function and seated without hip function, right? And the movement patterns change the way you modify things. I have a client who's seated, who has a neurological condition, who also has something called ataxia. So his, he doesn't have good motor control. So if he, for example, reaches for something as he reaches, he overshoots because his brain doesn't, the message doesn't coordinate to move the way that he should. So when he's in the gym with me, like I have to, I hold onto the barbell so that he doesn't hit himself, right? Because he can lift the weight, but His body may just say, oh, I'm going to move this sideways or I'm going to jump as I'm lifting. And so for him, he doesn't fit into seated and he doesn't fit into neuro because he's seated because he has hip function, but because of his ataxia, he can't move the way that a seated athlete with hip function moves, if that makes sense. So it's just, it's very complicated.
1: There's a serious question. Can dogs have brain injury? Because I think one of my dogs has a brain injury. (laughs)
2: Yes, they can. And to, and to that point, my, one of my dogs has a seizure disorder. And when we went her through the workup to try to figure out what they did in the MRI, and I was like, this is so cool, show me her brain. And in dogs, in the MRI, the cerebellum, which is sometimes known as the mini brain, it sits at the back above the brainstem, is, it's what's responsible for movement and coordination. And in dogs, it's much bigger relative to the rest of the brain than, than for humans, because movement is their thing.
1: Yeah, my dog only has a mini brain. Uh, Rocky, he so, he's missing the rest of it. I think um, you're frozen. Let's see. You there, still Jenna?
2: Oh, there it is. I saw. I heard you start to say something about your dog, and then it froze.
1: Well, I was just saying he only has a mini brain. Um, mini
2: brain? <laughs> is he a mini dog? Or
1: <laughs> he is. He's a French bulldog. He uh, Sleeps all day. But
2: I have a puggle. She does that too.
1: And and he falls down. I mean, he tries to do things he shouldn't. Like he'll fall downstairs i think he doesn't have a brain injury but he's just a little you know a little slow (laughs) but (laughs) it is it is amazing you know you mentioned that it makes me think something i've always said is like we have a seven month old who still is on the verge of crawling dogs come out and they're walking yep that's crazy to me still i mean i know that's off topic but
2: yeah no it's the like i said the brain is so fascinating um, and it can do so many things. And it also has so many opportunities to improve, um, all the time, which is why I love what I do because I can help people with thinking and talking and moving and finding better ways to move through space. And we know how good fitness is for everybody. So it's like, if we can help your brain get better by get helping you, getting you moved, then that's, that's awesome.
1: Well, uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about is on your social media you know, if, if people haven't checked it out, fit to function recovery, Yep, that's, that's your Instagram, yeah. but you have a picture of, it looks to me like tuna, maybe some mango, some beans, cucumber, white rice. <laughs> looks like a really good dinner. Um, <laughs> but you know, nutrition clearly plays a role. Yeah. Um, talk to me about that as well as are you using, I mean, there's a lot of, um, what's the term I don't know what the term I'm looking for is, but there's a lot of drugs that are being used, <laughs> in other words, for brain, right? I don't know. What, what's the yeah. what's the term I'm looking for? Pro- I mean, just progressive. Med- progressive, maybe? For med-
2: just medication?
1: For brain yeah, you brain. know, people are using like THC and, yeah, and other things. So things. so tell me about both of those. Talk to me about <laughs> the, drugs, the role and of nutrition. nutrition. <laughs> yeah, I mean, separate. Keep yeah. them separate.
2: Uh, yeah, um, you know, it's interesting working, you know, in a hospital, and I, I talk about this on that particular post, is that when you have a brain injury, your metabolic need increases significantly. Um, and the way I always describe it to, to clients, right, is that um, your brain is responsible for everything, and, you know, the, it regulates movement and emotion and feeling and thinking and all of that. And when you've had a brain injury, it's still doing all of those things while it's actually working to physically repair itself. Mm-hmm. um and so you need a lot more nutrition a lot more in and what we find which is probably not surprising at all is that just like i was talking about you have that time at the end of the day when you're trying to find the word you want to say and you just can't because you're tired right that happens if you're hungry too so if you haven't had enough to eat if you're not fueled and you haven't had enough sleep that's going to impact a vulnerable cognitive system so if you struggle with word finding or you struggle with remembering it shouldn't be surprising that if you're but brain and body are not well fueled, those things are gonna be that much harder, right? We see it in the hospital all the time. Like somebody doesn't have a good night's sleep, for example, and their cognition looks like it's more impaired or maybe they're barely eating and they're not functioning as well from a thinking perspective because their body's just not fueled. So, you know, I, I don't do nutrition myself. I work with tactic functional method for nutrition. So I have a coach and I try to get my clients to also have a coach to help them eat more, to help support the recovery of their brain but also their ability to function in the gym and their ability to talk and think better. Cause I think that's super important.
1: I can't think or talk until I have coffee. Is that, I mean, <laughs> that's a true story, right? Like, so I wake up and I try to delay my coffee for about 90 minutes to two hours. I saw that on uh, Andrew Huberman. I don't know if you've heard of him, uh-huh. but know um, yeah, that's yeah. something I've, and it's gotten better, but I, I, it's noticeable the difference in how fast my brain is functioning. Post caffeine is that normal?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, caffeine affects the brain. We know that, right? It's kind of like lights up some neurotransmitters, gets things firing. It doesn't mean that it's uh, always as good for us as, as we want it to be, but it feels good in the moment. It's just like taking medication for attention, which we we is also something a lot of individuals from, from suffering from brain injury do.
1: Well, that's a thing that wasn't happening back in the '90s either, right? No one was taking <laughs> like Adderall or whatever is going on yeah. these days.
2: Yeah, you know. It, In terms of like, we keep talking about attention, right? And I always say to individuals and and it's true that attention is the building block of cognition, right? If you can't pay attention, you can't remember something that someone has said. If you can't pay attention to something that someone is saying to you, you can't understand it. If you can't pay attention to yourself, you as you're trying to generate a message, the message goes off track, right? Like you kind of lose the sense of what it was you were trying to do and say. Um, and so, for a lot of individuals with, after a brain injury, we, they are on a stimulant. We do put them on medication to help them attend because they need to be able to attend to their environment to start the learning process again. So that's pretty common.
1: No, that makes total sense. I know we've had some fun with some of these questions, but I do have a fun <laughs> question. But, I, but all of them are serious. Don't you know? In, it's twenty twenty one. Do you think technology has impaired? people's ability to pay attention? Because I'm telling you, tw- 2005, I had a different brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm t- I, I mean, and I am someone that works hard. I don't keep social media on my phone. You know, I try That's not you. to be uh, on top of it. You know, I, I do it every day, but I try to do it on my computer. So it's very yeah. purposeful. I mean, even when I'm like trying to meditate at times, my brain's going crazy. Yeah. So do you think like just the world around us is making it harder for everyone these days to, to be attentive.
2: I do. I mean, so they're at the most, the highest level of attention is something we call divided attention, right? And that's when we're paying attention to a bunch of things at once. Like we're sort of back and forth between the conversation and maybe we're cooking and maybe we're listening to a podcast and maybe the dog needs, wants a treat and you're sort of able to bounce back and forth. And there's a lot of disagreement out there in the world of, cognition about whether divided attention actually exists. Can you truly attend? I think it's no.
1: I've read stuff right. like that and I believe it's no. I think right. it's, like, it's like doing more than one workout a day. If you do more than one workout a day, more than one workout is getting half-assed. Right. And I would say the same about multitasking. None right. of them are getting done well.
2: Right. And so uh, to, to sort of answer your question, right, like as far as the world, at, the, the state of the world and the state of social media and the fact that it's like everything is pinging and flashing and we're looking at all of these things. Yes, we can shift our focus from one thing to the next. But how well are we attending to any of those things? Um, and I do think that there's an increase in stimuli in our environment in general. And I think that makes it hard to focus. I mean, I know a lot of individuals who felt like at the height of the pandemic, they could focus better right because there just wasn't as much stimulation you were just in one place just listening to the news perhaps of what was happening in the world but you weren't interacting while looking at your phone while thinking about the next thing while look checking your calendar you know it's all it's an interesting environment that we live in now that's for sure
1: do you have kids jenna
2: i do not i have two dogs though
1: oh same we have three dogs three too many is what i (laughs) um and you have a puggle you said i used to have two pugs so yes
2: Oh yeah. I have a puggle and then I have a 60 pound hound dog mix. She, we think she's a plot hound.
1: Nice. Well, and the reason I was going to say that is because what I learned, one thing that really was eye-opening to me when having, you know, what Madison, our, our daughter is people like, they ask, what's one of the best parts. And I'm like, you have to pay attention. Right. Yeah. And it's like, I, you know, I'm, my wife's actually texting me cause she's about to leave and I got to go grab her, but it's like, okay, okay when I'm with her, that's it. And I notice a difference too. Like when I'm feeding her and I try to watch something on my iPad or not pay full attention, she's scattered. Yeah. I think you're seeing that, like even at seven months old, like she's picking up on the fact, hey, you're not giving me your undivided attention. It's a different baby. When I'm feeding her, just sitting there in the morning, nothing on, A, it's calming for me. Yeah, right. And you have a better, deeper, stronger connection with your child. And And B, I think she's appreciative of it. You know, as, yeah. as crazy as it sounds, yeah, I, don't know. I
2: mean, and, I mean, babies learn from us from watching your face, your facial expressions, your eyes, um, as like speech pathology, we also do childhood development, and I have wondered so much how much masking such a so much of our face will impact kind of youth development, mm-hmm. because, you know, before we had all the stimuli. Yeah, like when you were with your baby, you were just with your baby and the baby is watching you and connecting with you and learning from you. Um so yeah, do that. Focus in on that. That's a good thing to uh, attend to.
1: It's great. It's really forced. You know, I, I I do my best to be really focused on one thing. It's not always possible, but I yeah. I do my best. Um. So so you know, we gave your Instagram fit to function recovery. Uh, mm-hmm. you can also check out your website, which is fit to function But when do you anticipate your course being available?
2: Uh, how more, I'm still, I'm still working on it. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping for the winter time. Um, but uh, it's, it's a lot. Turns out it's a lot to develop a, a course and a certification. And, you know, I'm getting inquiries from people all over the world, which is awesome. Um, and people looking for gyms in their area. And so I'm hoping at a, at a minimum to start being able to just kind of consult with other gyms or offer kind of some sort of online course or connection. There's a lot of different avenues it could take, but hoping for the months ahead.
1: And if, you know, if someone has a member, can they hit the contact button on your website? Is that a good place to start?
2: Absolutely. Most definitely. Yeah. I'm happy to, to help and to help consult. And I think, you know, that I always say that, you know, any trainer with the right mindset can help anyone. Right. And so, yes, I have a specialty, but at a minimum, if we can just get more of these individuals into the gym, we know that we can improve lives.
1: And, and, you know, that's truly the beauty of crossfit. I remember this is like 2007 or 8. Uh coach Glassman was traveling giving seminars. he you called know, call them like one 101s and I remember him saying something to the extent of, you know, I wouldn't cross the street to watch a 2-minute friend, but I'd cross the street to help someone with their air squat. And and that's really what it's all about. I mean, I think, you know, we're forging elite fitness still. This is still CrossFit. You know, let's not forget about those people that are really pushing the boundaries of what fitness is and pushing their bodies to that next level. But realistically, 95, 99% of the people you're going to interact with don't care about the CrossFit Games. They have no (laughs) desire to go. And whether it's a brain injury or whether it's they need to lose 20 pounds or whether they just want to be the best version of themselves, that's who you're trying to help. That's why we do this thing. I mean, if anything, the people trying to make the games are your pain in the ass members. Get rid of them. (laughs) Get rid right. of them and get right. more people that are just trying to improve their lives.
2: Right. And and I tell people too, I feel like sometimes these stroke survivors, brain injury survivors, they're just a group of forgotten individuals, right? Like... One of my stroke survivors, he's 56 years old and he was a power lifter years and years ago. But still, this is a guy who thought the gym was out of the question. And he deadlifted 75 pounds the other day. And he he was like, please take a picture and send it to my daughter. You know, like these are people who had lives before their injury. They are not just their injury. And so why can't, why can't they come back to the gym? You know, why can't we get them involved and let them be proud of themselves again?
1: Not only- why can't they? They need to come back to the gym. Yes, absolutely. They, they need to come back to the gym and you're doing some awesome things. I'm really excited you know, for people to check you out. Like I said, fit to function recovery. Cause if you don't already, you're going to have people that are that want to come to your box and, and they'll, they'll have a brain injury and, you know, to be able to say whether you've taken Jenna's course, once it's available or just you're, you're knowledgeable in the subject, you're just putting yourself not only at an advantage when it comes to the other affiliates in town, and my goal is every affiliate in the world can handle yeah. this. I don't want this to be an advantage. I want everyone to be able to do it, but you know in the meantime, you are putting yourself in in the position of authority and the ability to help other people, so it's really great yeah. so yeah thank you
2: so anything
1: much. that I didn't uh, catch, Jenna, we talked about um the water boy we talked about. <laughs> <laughs> You know, actually,
2: if I I can say one more serious thing, it just occurred to me too, is that you think about a lot of folks, um, brain injuries is is really isolating, right? Like Mm -hmm. you lose your work cohort, you lose your friends maybe because you just don't have the same kind of ability to interact. And one of the most powerful things about this is that it's community, right? Like we know, we know the power of the community, um, in any CrossFit setting. And I think getting folks back to a place where they can find community again is so important.
1: Yeah, that's, That's awesome. That's really, you know, so true. I'm sure for those people that have suffered a brain injury, maybe there's like some embarrassment, right? That they're not the person that they once were, but they are, you know, who they are now and, and you're going to help them, you know, be proud of that. And like anybody, I've always said this about CrossFitters is you're not a CrossFitter until you show up injured. Right. Because it's so easy to be like, I only, you know, I only train when I feel great. And it's like, it's it's going to go away when you hit your forties. I promise you that. So it's like (laughs) to show up and know I can't go RX or to know the workout needs to be adapted. Like that's the sign of like, I'm in this thing.
2: Yeah. And I've actually had athletes say like, I shouldn't be complaining your stroke survivors are in the gym doing more than I did today. I've, I have no right to complain. And I'm like, yeah, it's a good way to think about it. Like everybody's doing hard things, you know? So we can, we can all keep, keep on keeping on it in that sense.
1: I love it. We can all keep on keeping on. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jennifer coming on here. Thank you um, so like much I said, me. numerous times, reach out to her, uh, your wealth of knowledge. And, you know, currently you're at the forefront of this in the, in the CrossFit world. So that's pretty awesome.
2: Thank you so much. This
0: was great. So you never miss an episode of the podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel and on all major podcasting platforms at best hour of their day. Thank you so much for tuning in and for being a part of the best hour of our day. See you next time.
1: You've heard me talk about it before, and I'm truly not joking. I'm being 100% genuine. I love Doc Spartan products. I use it every day, I talk about the Sex Panther Beard Balm. That's literally what is in my beard right now. And I use all of the scrubs, my favorite being the coffee scrub, just in the shower, gives you the tingles, gives you the feels. I love it. And there's so many other great products. I use their deodorant. I've used their hand care when I've had tears. Just check them out. It's veteran owned, you know, guy that was in the military serving our country, Dale. I got to know him over the years and he's just a great dude. And I started buying his products and he reached out to me and said, hey, we want to support the show and we appreciate it. And I just want you guys to not only support Doc Spartan and Dale, but also reap the benefits. If you want to be sexy like me, then you want to check out Doc Spartan products, 15% off with the code best hour. That's best hour for 15% off anything at their website. DocSpartan.com. Check out the coffee scrub and definitely check out the beard bomb. And ladies, there's stuff for you too. So head on over to docSpartan.com, use the code BEST HOUR and save
3: 15%. You started your business to help others. Somewhere along the way, you lost the capability of doing it on your own. Imagine how much different your business would be with an extra $10,000. Would you pay your rent? Would you buy new equipment? Would you pay your coaches more? Would you pay yourself? What if you could do that and donate to others? We started our business to help you. Finally, a a payment solution for the micro gym space. We are proud to introduce you to WheelPay, a platform that allows you to both save money and be generous. With giving partners like the Phoenix, the Navy Seal Foundation, the Green Beret Project, and other charitable organizations, you can trust that your donations will make a massive difference in the lives of others. Saving has never been easier. Giving has never been easier. Pay better, do better, we'll pay.